Goes for goal! And finishes off the PSG victory! He's launched, Nuno Mendes rapide, Nuno Mendes passes devant Trondano! The tir! Oh, he's beau, celui-là! The but de Nuno Mendes! You know the football, it is what it is. The premier but de Ronald Colomboni! With the Paris Saint-Germain! Quel joie! Hello and welcome to PSG Review, also known as the show no longer trying to please anyone, because this week it has been proven beyond reasonable doubt that some people will go to any lengths to dislike, even hate our beloved club. Not sure any evidence was lacking before, but what a storm in a teacup as the worst underside of European media has lost their marbles once again. PSG Review, also known as the show, no, not quite sure to what extent the match against Newcastle was a success or a failure or something in between and we cover all that in this episode on top of many other things. We have a great show for you, very packed, so that's something to look forward to. My name is Mikko and you can talk to me online at PSG Review Pod on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. You can find me as at PSG Review. Rate and review the show on Apple and Spotify or wherever it is possible. And thank you so much for joining me once again. It is always very much appreciated. Uh, the topic for this episode is clear. There's very little suspense around it while we are here now. But on top of the Newcastle match, we will talk a little bit about the club finances and priorities. What's the big picture with the injury situation? the main talking points around the women's first team and even the first cold breezes of the winter transfer window gossip have reached the PSG review studios but before the actual match against Newcastle let's talk about the backlash there were a few reasons why I'm sort of one day late with this podcast my friend sadly passed away and may she rest in peace and my wife had her birthday you know life happens some things are bigger than football but in a way I'm also quite glad that there's this delay because boy oh boy have the various media platform gone nuts with their narratives about this match I mean mainly it's the populist tabloid media around Europe who have very kindly taken a small breather from spreading xenophobia and soft porn by focusing their attention on this penalty gate in this match and it's genuinely so stupid that I can feel my brain cells perishing as I see this conversation unfold. Uh, the notable thing about it is that it is about one penalty call and not three suspicious decisions by the referee who was very poor in my opinion and of course VAR is also involved here in these calls but the referee was giving PSG players yellow cards left right and center and Newcastle free kicks from slightest of touches by our players and I am sure that there were situations outside of the last penalty call when Newcastle might have felt hard done but that's beside the point because there was the last situation in additional time where PSG scored the equalizer from the penalty spot and before that the ball bounced on the stretched arm of a Newcastle defender from his body. As far as I understand they should not according to the rules as they are used in Premier League results in penalty but it did because the Champions League there's apparently slightly different interpretation this was mentioned by Adrian Grenier on Twitter but before that incident there were also a situation when Newcastle defender had handled the ball in the box without the body contact before that and a situation like that won Liverpool the Champions League not too long time ago and there was also a situation where Hakimi was brought down in the box by Newcastle player but apparently that was nothing either and Newcastle supporters of course wanted us to focus on screening us somewhat clumsy but a fairly effective tackle on Alexander Isak uh, but he got the ball when he fell it touched his arm uh, but it was outside of the box anyway and getting the ball didn't involve the part where there was that arm contact because that was only after Isak had already lost the possession and Skriniar his balance. Anyways, a lot has been said about this and you know they like to gaslight us all the time but this isn't quite normal. 
like this isn't what all the other clubs have to go through all the time. A continent-wide press campaign in a unanimously negative tone, it's it's not normal and we should not normalize it ourselves either. I, I don't think so. I was having a bit of a frustrated, perhaps you could call it a rant on Wednesday on Twitter. Basically, I was saying that uh, I had been under the impression that PSG was so disliked because the club is owned by Qatar. But now we are playing against a team that is owned by the Saudis and People don't have issues with them all of a sudden, certainly not to the degree that would stop them from getting on their footballing high horse. So I'm just thinking here that these people would hate us regardless. What is the other conclusion here to make? Uh, Now, Saudi Arabia and Qatar are not quite the same kind of countries. You can't really compare them very easily because one is very powerful and it participates in atrocities far beyond their own borders. Like, for instance, in Yemen, where the situation has been really, really awful when it's a small country with its undebatable issues with human rights but they did just help to negotiate the ceasefire in Gaza and uh, that's not me excusing the other issues with labor rights or indeed the rights of sexual minorities but I think it's fair to say that they helped to do the so far most positive thing in one of the most urgent catastrophes there currently is in the world it's it's fair to credit them for that specific thing but this is not about Qatar and this is not about Saudi Arabia and, and to many it's never been about those thing. This is about another type of hierarchies that in European football go much deeper than Middle East and geopolitics. I mean, if this is about geopolitics for most of it, it's about age-old European geopolitics. And let me tell you something, you can take England, you can take France, Spain, Italy, Germany, Portugal, Holland, whatever. We can look at their history and all of a sudden we don't want to have that debate. So what actually are we debating? Are we still talking about football or are we just a record stuck on a past repeating some jingoistic talking points and many people repeating them aren't even from those European countries. Uh, You know, I'm from another European country, a small one, and I have no issues with critiquing anyone, including my own country. I say this with my heart, the level of conversation in football never ceases to disappoint me. It's really an environment where we are not even close to the real issues. And perhaps that is why the sport is run by such an awful group of corrupt men for the most part. I've really had it with all of it. I mean, how do people allow this to happen just to support their own team? I support my team, but its owners aren't like gods to me. I don't have to bow down in front of them and it's not a difficult thing to do, but I refuse to believe that they are especially bad owners. The level is very low anyways. I mean, most owners of big clubs are pretty corrupt as are some of the main sponsors, let alone, like said, the powers that be in the structures of football. What does that have to do with supporting a club? Clubs are always bigger than whoever controls them because a club is an idea. It's an identity. You can't have deeds for that. And if you love football, like like really, for heaven's sake, don't be uncritical of those powers on that background. I have digressed now. But to add on top of that, no referee is ever perfect. They just aren't. And VAR isn't perfect either, but it's far better than not having it. The, the answer, of course, is not to ditch it, but rather to improve it and the way that it is used. It's funny how the English won't stop complaining about VAR and they also won't stop complaining about Maradona's handball, which is something that could never happen during the time of VAR. And same with Lampard's goal against Germany in the 2010 World Cup. So is it just wanting to have your way always or is there something more meaningful behind these gripes? Not just attacking the English football culture as much as its God complex is a bit difficult to stomach, but this, this goes far, far beyond that. I mean, do these people who are making this huge big fuss, do they think that we haven't had issues with refereeing? 
where they who now scream injustice concerned after the omni shambles of remontada refereeing no they were laughing they were celebrating this is football tribalism and we do it too of course but let's not get so confused that we start thinking that there's some other logic behind these criticisms i mean just go and rewatch remontada and tell me that it went as it should have just go and come back after that as psg fans we know thing or two about these things Okay, so that's out of the way now and we have started the conversation about the match already, but let's have a closer look. Not quite do or die night in the City of Light, but not far from it either when Newcastle was coming to town after their domestic win over Chelsea last weekend. PSG's low point this season thus far was definitely the first match against them on the road, so Luis Enrique and the team had much to prove. Gianluigi Donnarumma was in goal, Ashraf Hakimi as right-back, Milan Skriniar and Danilo as centre-backs, Lucas Hernandez was the left-back midfield with Manuel Ugarte, Fabian Ruiz and Lee Kang in, and in attack PSG had Usman Dembele, Randall Colomuani and Kylian Mbappe. Even in the absence of the absentees, I'm not sure if this was a, as good as it gets. You, you can debate the striker situation, sure. We have different options there and uh, having Danilo with Skriniar instead of Hernandez and Mukiele on the left side or, or not having Vitinha in, all of these things, but this was the choice that Luis Enrique had made. I imagine you saw the match and even if you didn't, PSG had a great start, a bit of a dip and a monstrous second half, but again, our own mistake was costly. Newcastle tripled across the pitch through our players like they were plastic cones on the training ground and Donnarumma saved the initial shot, which wasn't that vicious, and it bounced to the unmarked Isak who put it in the net. A moment of embarrassing unprofessionalism by pretty much all involved in our colors and PSG had created itself a very unnecessary mountain to climb. But especially on the second half, it was Newcastle that had nothing to give but their low block defending that I am sure some league on clubs were looking with admiration. PSG uh, was steamrolling over them in all but one record. Countless of brilliant scoring chances just didn't go in. They just didn't. There's two ways of looking at this, at least. The first one is the more compassionate approach where we consider that PSG project is a new with almost entirely changed squad who are only working towards playing as a team with new strategies and style. Really a lot to mix magically in a short period of time in what really is the toughest UCL group by some margin. In another group we would have had far easier time but there was no such lack of draw so being second now with a chance to top the group it's not catastrophic in that light. And part of me genuinely thinks like this but there's also another approach. Is the problem that the team doesn't play well enough with this strategy or is the strategy itself faulty? Sometimes there can be lack of cohesion, sure, but with the amount of good chances we've had, scoring only one goal is really unbelievably bad return for the investment. Uh, there aren't any excuses for that. Uh, basically, what I'm saying is that when the team plays these matches in the Champions League, we aren't really losing because of a lack of understanding among the players, but rather than underperforming in crucial moments, making ridiculous errors and just not meeting the brief. Either way, I'm not losing my faith in this project and I don't think neither should you. I don't think so anyways, because things take time and if we can make it into the knockouts, it's an if, but if we can make it into the knockouts, we have had more time than in the meantime, so anything is possible. But what we do know is that bringing three points from Dortmund would put us on top of the group and 
be drawn against the second in line in another group. Uh, there will still be tough teams there, of course, but generally group winners are even tougher, of course. So the team knows that and they know what to do. There's very little that is unclear and the time for excuses and apologies has gone. This is the moment of truth that is fast approaching. We can win the group, but we can also play in the Europa League. That's what is at stake here. And you'd imagine that you don't have to explain that to professional football players. They get it. It's up to them to deliver. What was disappointing to me, especially in this match, was really the wastefulness. PSG has been scoring so many goals recently, but now somehow it was the hardest thing. It's And it's easy to blame individual players like Bradley Barcola, for instance, who missed so many chances, but for a young player playing the biggest match of his career so far and not having the longest minutes in that, the positive, I think, is how well he was in those right places. I mean, yes, the finishing was bad and it was costly and it is what counts, but he's a dangerous player. And he was far from the only one who missed his chances. Mbappe missed them, Dembele missed them. I mean, Lee Kang-in didn't really even get a proper shot. So these things happen, but we can't afford them to happen again in Dortmund. Kylian Mbappe talked after the match to the international media and this was his analysis. It's hard uh, to see uh, when you see the game, uh, what happened. We, have so, we had so many chances. Uh, normally we had to win, but you know in football you can, you can be better in the game and and don't score and you don't win and that's what happened tonight so it's hard for us but we have another game in Dortmund we have to win because we want to be at the top of the group uh, I try I try to, to be at my best level every night uh, to be important for my team for my national team for my club uh, it's my job it's my job to score goals to help my guys but I think I, I could I could help more my team because I had many chances and I, I didn't score more goals tonight I think you watch many games and you see that in Champions League you have to score when you are at opportunity. We had like nine, ten opportunity clear and, and we don't score. So so if we if we play like this in Dortmund and we score who goals, everything gonna be okay. I was already talking about the penalty controversy before. I would have much rather had one of those earlier penalties that to me quite inexplicably weren't given because if we had more time against the tiring Newcastle defense with little help on the bench forcing to open the match again, you know, because their urgent need for three points in this match, I'd rather guess that if there was one more goal, it would have been more likely to benefit us than them. But this all, of course, is just speculation. It's utterly meaningless. It could have been them too. Most of all, it is very futile because... Those things, they never happen. I am trying to recover from all this, but there are, of course, other pertinent issues in and around the club. Let's talk about the injuries. The recent injuries by Marquinhos and Warren Zer Emery are less than ideal as we get ready for the last push of 2023. And in Ligue 1, it can be slightly more forgiving than in Champions League, of course, where the result is needed against Dortmund. And we will see who is back in the squad then. Uh, Warren Zer Emery won't be. He's not expected to play this uh, year anymore, but Marquinhos could be. That's an open question. We are also patiently waiting for Nuno Mendes to return, but holding your breath isn't medically advised. The player who is an option for action is Marco Asensio, who has already been in the match day squad against Monaco on the weekend and who also came to the pitch against Newcastle towards the end. And President Kimpembe is part of the collective training also. He can't be miles away from getting his first minute since what feels like forever. But I mean, actually, actually, we're talking about last February, although he had just had another injury before that. So it feels much longer that kept him out of the World Cup squad also. But Presco will soon get his chance. If not before the new year, then there's usually Coupe de France matches early on in the new calendar year. But who knows when he will be actually ready? I, I doubt that anyone 
wants to take any risks with these things at this point. And if we talk about the trip to Dortmund for him, that's far too soon anyway. And his introduction is unlikely to be in a big match anyway. But like I said, Marco Asensio is an interesting and perhaps more topical addition from the infirmary. Our big match-tested false nine could bring in some interesting twists if he can stay fit and healthy because his early days of the season were very promising and I think it's safe to assume that Luis Enrique won't not give his Spanish compatriot a chance if that seems like a thing to do. I think Asensio could be something that we can benefit a lot from and it also seems reasonable to assume that in the absence of Sir Emery, Fabian Ruiz will get his time to show his abilities to their full extent. Against Monaco he was great, really really very good actually and his ball control is top notch and against Newcastle he played his part. I mean no magical fireworks there but a night at the office nevertheless so while I'm Sorry to see Warren say Emery sidelined for now, that's not in our control and his backup is a quality player also, so we roll with him for now. The absence of Marquinhos is a bit frustrating because he has also had a great season in Paris thus far, but like I had predicted for Monaco match, his absence moved Lucas Hernandez to central defense and utilized Nordi Mukiele on the left side, and that to me worked very well. I, I was hoping for the same to happen against Newcastle, but it, it did not, because uh, I like Mukiele a lot. I don't keep that a secret, but because he's one of those players in our squad that is, no one ever really makes a big fuss about, and, and he doesn't either. I think he's a really professional player and takes care of his duties with care and diligence, so I have no issues with him, and he, of course, brings a lot defensively also. You know, not just running forward, but he, a bit like Hernandez himself, look after the defense also and can run with the wingers and quite often dispossesses them of the ball. So while in a perfect world we would have our starters ready and able, uh, it's not too bad now. And of course, if we had all of our starters available, Nuna Mens would undoubtedly be part of that 11, but we patiently wait for his return. At least we have a good depth because while the injured players are working themselves back to fitness, there can always be new injuries on their way. PSG women have had a little bit of a tough time this autumn. The quick summary is that while the summer transfers brought in some key players, such as our new Malawian forward Tapita Chavinga, who has been a key player this season, even if only on loan deal currently, there were also signings that haven't really met the brief. Certainly not for the time being. The, the coach Gerard Brochur left fairly suddenly a few days before the big match earlier this autumn against Lyon, leaving his second in line, who also happens to be his son, Jocelyn Brochur, in charge. But up to this day, he doesn't have an assistant. While the men's team moved to the new training center in Poissy, the women are at Camp Deloge, where the pitches are in poor condition currently because they are used by women's first team as well as the youth teams and our master of grass, Jonathan Calderwood, moved his groundskeeping expertise to the new facilities. A according to the plans, the women should move there also early 2024, so not too long to go if that information is still accurate, but all this has left a lot to be desired. Uh, the Champions League group stage has had a grim start too, with two defeats out of two matches, and in the bigger picture, in all of this, the offer PSG can make to our women's team and its players it needs to improve in all areas so that we can keep our good players and convince other good players of high enough caliber to join us, whether it's this winter or next summer. So far, it doesn't look great, but domestically, they did beat Montpellier last weekend fairly convincingly 4-1, so that's certainly a silver lining. Uh, there are some serious considerations within the team itself. Who are the players that have the required quality to put the shirt on and how to line them up? 
these are the questions. The club organization also needs to decide not only whether it is happy with the work that the former right-hand man of Leonardo, Angelo Castellasi, and his assistant and our former captain, Sabrina Delanoy, are doing, but also what type of investment they are willing to make. It's as simple as that. For our sins, the women's team is such an afterthought in the structure of this club. And of course, I understand that we're talking about a significantly smaller business proposition, but at the same time, potentially a very good PR avenue. You know, of course, there's the football also to be played. But for a big club like PSG, it's bad optics to have such a clear division between these facilities as they currently are. And of course, now the facilities will improve in terms of training ground, but then there's still the match day infrastructure. I mean, essentially, there's a very small crowd watching these matches, but it also feels like it would be possible to create an environment where there were a few thousand more people attending. And and part of the plans, of course, is a small capacity stadium to be built in Boise later on. I mean, I did talk about that in more detail last episode, so you can listen to that episode of PSG Review if you want. But I'd say that perhaps that schedule should be brought forward a bit with more ambition. Journalist Abdella Bulma was reporting now that PSG's turnover for the 22-23 season is expected to be in the excess of 800 million euros. That would put the club among the top five European clubs and represent also a sizable increase on previous season when the figure was uh, 654.3 million. And all this despite having a smaller stadium and significantly lower TV right revenues uh, than most other big European clubs. But it's difficult to speculate too much with this information because I don't know the full plans and definitely if the previously reported plans for Parc de Bronze renovations have any truth to them, there will be money on its way there out also. But you'd hope that some even a small slice of the extra would find itself to the women's team. Alternatively, like in Lyon, they could separate its control to someone else who cares deeply about it. And mind you, there must be money already allocated for that small stadium for women and youth teams. But while I don't know the logistics exactly, of course, I don't know what are all the considerations that go into it. But I would hope that they could hurry up and reprioritize that construction. Only time will tell. But with our women's team, every year we have been losing key players who choose a project with more ambition. And every year we need to do a rebuilding. We will struggle to strengthen the squad if we are only trying to fill the gaps left by departures. There's an international break right now in women's football and 10th of December, the Dian continues and a few days after that PSG plays against AS Roma in the Champions League. The second part of the group stage will be in January onwards. So for that, in a perfect world, there could be even some new players. It is true that the winter transfer window will only open in about one month and it will be interesting to see how busy that will be this year for both men and women's teams. Of course, there are some rumors already in circulation that in the absence of Nunamens, PSG could be looking for a left-back option. And the name Ryan Aitnuri has been mentioned as the number one choice for Luis Campos. We're talking about a young Algerian player who is currently playing in Wolverhampton. But for the moment, his agent, Jorge Mendes, isn't apparently convinced that Nuna Mendes will inevitably be back at some point. And of course, PSG also has Lucas Hernandez and Norde Mukiel has also been playing very well. There has also been news and this is very textbook transfer rumor material, a denial that there ever was any interest in Aitnure to begin with. So 
reports both for and against uh, with the same vigor. It, it must be that time of the year again when we are being kept up to date with all the news with emphasis on speed and quantity and uh, not so much quality or accuracy. So buckle up, I guess, and have a pinch of salt with you handy at all times. PSG has also reportedly an interest in Lille's young centre-back Lenny Yoro and uh, in the midfield the names Keprem Turam and Yusuf Fofana have been mentioned. I mean, I'm happy with all of them, but these are long shots for now. Apparently, Lenny Yoro isn't planning on leaving Lille mid-season. Summer is a different thing, but opinions can also change. All these deals, or none of them, they may or may not materialize, but either way, it is somewhat too early to celebrate any of them or feel anything about them to begin with. And just to make the circle full again, there's also been reports that uh, PSG is looking neither for a left-back nor a midfielder. And then Fabrizio Romano says that PSG has an eye on young Corinthians midfielder from Brazil, Gabriel Moscardo. So make of that what you will. We will see apparently the unused player Hugo Ekitike could be heading to Newcastle. Newcastle was after him after all when he came to Paris and apparently still open to the possibility but apparently the issue is that they'd like a loan and PSG would like a full sale but at the same time again there's been a denial of any of this so we don't know. We keep our ears on these streets. Usually the January window is obviously much slower transfer wise than the summer one but you never know. PSG is quite determined to build a squad for the future and This sounds like filling some of the holes and adding to the depth. There's no doubt in my mind that there will be more chatter around these topics. Many more names will be suggested and gossiped about, but we will need to wait for the final conclusion. Of course, transfer talk is business in and of itself, so one has to have some source criticism and media reading skills while navigating this whole area. Up next for PSG, we have Le Havre in Ligon and their new recruit Ghanaian Andrew Ayo, the former Marseille player, of course, already took a red card in his first match back in France after many years, so he won't be there, but they're having a decent season nevertheless, and that match is Sunday afternoon local time. You can add or subtract your time difference from 2 p.m. Central European time. There's also a domestic match against Nantes before the Champions League group stage final class in Dortmund, which will be on Wednesday, 13th of December. You can find and follow the show online as we are fast approaching the second anniversary of PSG Review and also its 100th episode. On Twitter, you can also say hello at PSG Review Pod and TikTok and Instagram, it is simply at PSG Review. On Spotify and Apple Podcast, you can rate the show, write a short review if you please, at least on Apple. And more than anything, thank you again for listening. I would also like to add that, by the way, I have added now the, all the new episodes and some of the back catalog to YouTube, so you can find me also on YouTube at PSG Review there. So that's also where you can catch all the latest episodes. I hadn't really used it before because it's not a video visual podcast. It's an audio podcast. I'm a radio guy. So that's that. But all those episodes can now be listened to there. And I have also joined uh, the Blue Sky. So if you're a user of that, you know, look me up. Uh, it's quite quiet there at the moment, but you never know where it's going to lead and what's going to happen to all these other social media platforms that are in the hands of these somewhat uh, eccentric billionaires uh, of the world. So we, we shall see how all of those things are going to go. My name is Mikko. This is PSG Review. And until the next time, I don't really mean it. Peace. Peace.